I mentioned to you that the goal of meditation is insight. The means is calm. Now I've also mentioned that insight has a number of steps which each has to be taken not necessarily in the order that they are listed but unless each step of insight actually is experienced and understood there is no progression I have mentioned to you that the very first step of insight is knowing that mind and body are two. Very simple. The body breathes and the mind knows it. The mind can't breathe nor can the body know it. They are interdependent and co-joined but they do not have the same functions. And since the mind is the one that knows, it's also the one that creates the path for us. In Pali, mind is also called Nama, N-A-M-A, the Nama. Now, having heard that, it is necessary to experience it. It's useless to believe it or disbelieve it. Neither believing nor disbelieving is going to make any difference at all. But trying to see whether this is so, through one's own personal experience, brings insight. And this is part of the five spiritual faculties which I've already mentioned last night as the first one, the leading one being mindfulness, which I've explained. And then there are two pairs, concentration and energy and faith and wisdom. Faith and wisdom have to be balanced. And the word faith can be substituted with the word confidence. The simile which is given for faith and wisdom is as follows. Faith is depicted as an enormously strong giant who is blind who meets up with a small, very puny cripple who has very sharp eyes, who's called wisdom. And the blind giant, called faith, says to the small, sharp-eyed cripple, come and ride on my shoulders. I'm very strong, but I can't see. You're very weak, but you can see well. Together, we can go far. So faith and wisdom have to be co-joined. Although blind faith 
can move mountains. Unfortunately, being blind doesn't know which mountain needs moving. And therefore, the Buddha has co-joined both together. Now, they also depict what we consist of, namely heart and mind. Wisdom is mind. Faith is heart. If we don't use both of these in our life, on our spiritual path, we're going to be hopping along on one foot. And the progress is going to be very, very slow and very difficult and probably so tedious that we're going to stop hopping. But we have two legs to stand on, to walk with, to run with. We have heart and mind, and since we have it, we need to use both. The mind which understands and the heart which loves. Confidence and faith can only be generated if we love. We cannot have confidence in something that we don't like. It's not possible. But even having confidence and faith without understanding also doesn't work. It's like having a relationship with another person whom we understand quite well but don't love. It's not a satisfactory relationship. Or having a relationship with a person whom we love but don't understand at all. So that too is not satisfactory. There is no closer relationship than our own spiritual path. It's much closer than any other person could ever be to us. So the first requirement is to understand where it is supposed to lead and how to use a directive. For what reason to use them and what the meaning is. If we don't understand it, there's hardly any hope that we could use it correctly, whatever the directions or directive may be. After having understood it, our heart faculty has to also be engaged. If we don't love what we're doing, we can't have any confidence in it we're constantly going to be wavering. Is this all right? Should I do that? Maybe I should do something else. Somebody else told me something different. Maybe that might be better. If we love, we are committed. Unless we are committed wholeheartedly, 
we're not going to have whole-hearted results. If we're committed half-heartedly, we'll have half-hearted results and quarter-heartedly or whatever it may be. That's exactly what happens. And then we wonder, why? Nothing to wonder about. We get exactly what we give. So the love faculty which we can bring to the spiritual path that we have chosen because we have understood it is the necessary impetus which will make it happen. It is not love for a teacher, not love for a certain practice. It is love and confidence for the whole of the teaching into which meditation is embedded. Meditation alone, without a spiritual path, will never flourish. A spiritual path without meditation will also never flourish. They have to belong together. Whichever path we choose, whichever meditation practice we choose, but it has to be a whole. To be holy means to be whole. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that one carries a halo around or a badge. It's just to be whole. And we all have that ability. Five spiritual faculties are embedded in everyone's heart and mind. They become powers when we have practiced them. Practice them against our sloth and torpor in the mind, against our doubts, just because we have understood and we love it. What do we love? We love the possibility of leaving behind the marketplace mentality and consciousness that everybody has and have within us a consciousness which is connected to universal truth. That doesn't mean that we can't go back to the marketplace and buy and sell. As long as we have a body, we have to look after that body. Not necessarily in the meditation halls, but at other times. So with that understanding that the spiritual path and direction which the Buddha has given to us, we have a possibility of going beyond the ordinary, everyday mentality with which 
we are constantly confronted and which is never satisfying, never fulfilling and usually brings with it stress and strain. We can love that which we haven't even experienced that yet. And therefore, the confidence that it's possible will arise. That confidence is the impetus we need. The two have to work together, understanding and confidence. Confidence is the antidote for doubt. Skeptical doubt is our fifth hindrance. As long as we are beset with skeptical doubt, our spiritual progress will be nil. Not a little, not maybe, just nil. It doesn't work. We have to give ourselves wholeheartedly. If we have a relationship with anyone or anything and we are constantly doubting whether that's the right one, whether we shouldn't have a different one, what kind of success can we expect? Nothing. Only difficulty. We are not to take the Buddha's words without inquiry. Inquiry is not skeptical doubt. Inquiry is wanting to know. Skeptical doubt is the attitude of disbelief. The attitude of disbelief stops one in one's tracks. There are many attitudes that we have that stop us in our tracks. One is inattention, non-attention. One is unwise consideration. Attention and wise consideration are part of wisdom, insight. The words wisdom and insight are interchangeable. They are not the same in Pali either, they're Panya and Vipassana, but they're interchangeable because wisdom means insight and insight means wisdom. Doubt, skeptical doubt, is symbolized by the Buddha as being in the desert without a road map and without provisions. And therefore going around in circles and in the end being overrun by bandits. One of the antidotes against skeptical doubt is to learn more about the Dhamma and to have connection with wise people. Now, one of the antidotes, or the one antidote, which is the same for all our hindrances, are noble friends 
and noble conversation. Talking about such things which raise one's mind to loftier ideals. Not the things which are constantly concerned with everyday matters. Noble friends are those which can help one to have those kinds of conversations. Noble friends are those which are practicing themselves and are therefore aware of the difficulties but also of the benefits. A noble friend is someone who is totally honest, who will keep one's secrets, who will tell one his or her secrets, who is totally dependable and trustworthy at times when one is down and at other times when everything is going well. A noble friend is a person who can see that the spiritual life is far more important than all the other things which are necessary to keep alive and will constantly support one's endeavor on the path. To find such a noble friend, one has to be such a noble friend. It's up to each one of us. I'm the owner of my karma means I do it. If not now, when? If not me, who? That's not the Buddha. That's Rabbi Hillel. But it applies to the practice. If not now, when? Every single day. And if not me, who? Somebody else? Who are we waiting for? A noble friend is so important that Ananda, who was the Buddha's cousin and attendant for 25 years, once said to the Buddha, Sir, a noble friend is half of the holy life. The Buddha said, Do not say so, Ananda. A noble friend is the whole of the holy life. There's nothing more important than a noble friend. In Pali, a noble friend is Kalyanamitta. Kalyanamitta is a person who is very often a meditation companion or a meditation teacher. That kind of person has to have been at least one step further as oneself in order to help one. But in order to find that, we have to be it. Birds of a feather flock together. We can't find it if we are not it. It's always going to escape us. We have ideas, we have hopes, we have fantasies. We have dreams, we have all sorts of input. What sort of output do we have? 
The input is everywhere. Pages and pages of it. On all subjects. It's the output that matters from each one of us. And that can only come from our own faith and wisdom. The two together. Wisdom arises through three steps. The first is information, knowledge. That's all one can get from somewhere else. To be had everywhere. Libraries full of it. Universities full of it. Information galore. One has to be selective. Which kind of information do I really want? Having received the kind of information which is necessary for the spiritual path, next step is remembering it. The next step is actually practicing it. And having practiced it, then having the understood experience because the information is available. Having practiced it, having experienced it, then understanding that, that brings wisdom. So wisdom is not something that can be imparted, that can be given, that can be received. It can only be explained. The Buddha called himself the shower of the way. He said, I'm only the shower of the way. If we don't travel along that way, then nothing will happen. The way is shown very clearly. Many details, with many landmarks, with many possibilities. It's up to each person to travel. Armchair travelers never get to their destination. They love the road maps. The road maps are a discourse. The books. Faith and confidence in that which we may not have experienced yet means that we have the humility to accept the fact that we don't know it all that there is something greater than ourselves. We have the humility to be led, to be taught. The Buddha compared people to four different pots, clay pots. First one has holes in the bottom. If one pours water into the top, it runs right out the bottom. 
one pours the Dhamma in to that person's ears it's forgotten by the time they leave get out the door the second kind second kind of clay pot has cracks the water seeps out one remembers for a while one med- meditates for six weeks after the course and then it starts seeping away the third kind is full to the top with water one can't pour anything new in one has too many preconceived ideas and notions one has heard too much and disbelieved probably all of it so nothing new can happen and then there is the clay pot that doesn't have any holes doesn't have any cracks is empty and one can pour the water in and it stays in hopefully we are of that last kind the clear pure water of the Dhamma which not only refreshes but means life it's a kind of life which has a different connotation from what we usually consider life it's life which is led on a basis of universal truth rather than just being alive if our heart is not engaged in the practice we will always look around for something easier to do if our heart is not engaged in a partnership we'll always look for somebody else with whom life might be a little easier more money less arguments whatever if our heart is engaged in the partnership there's no question of looking for somebody else this is the most important partnership we can possibly have a person who finds it easy to love will also find it easy to have confidence because love is giving confidence is giving giving oneself now this is exactly the difficulty we experience in meditation we have to give ourselves to it it's a total giving holding nothing back as long as we're thinking we're holding something back we're holding ourselves back from it we're not falling into it that's why i kept saying let the mind fall into the breath don't hold it back give yourself loving is giving confidence faith is giving giving oneself the same action has to be done in meditation the wisdom part is the insight part and the first step of insight i've already explained i'll explain the second step now and i have already given you the necessary direction how to practice it the second step of insight which is only insight when one has actually experienced it and taken it in as an inner feeling is the fact 
that everything that arises also ceases. Simple truism. Very few people ever get this far. Does everything that arises cease? Of course it does. So what is else is new? Having experienced that means that life has a different connotation. Our grasping, our hanging on, our connection, our solidity is shaken. We're no longer feeling ourselves as solid, as important, as permanent, as being a center point, as having to have and having to be and having to become. Having experienced the arising and ceasing of all that we are, we feel ourselves fluid. The fluidity of all that exists as part of our own nature. Now what arises and ceases? The breath, constantly. The thoughts, constantly. The feelings, the emotions, the sensations and this body. Not only the heartbeat, the blood flow, all of those things. No, the cells come together and fall apart. That's why there's aging and decay constantly. Every second of time arises and ceases. And we are a second older. And time has gone further. We're nearer to the end. Everything arises and ceases. Nothing is steadfast. Nothing is stable. Although this is only the second step of insight, which in the... smallest division has nine steps usually taken to be eleven or twelve because we divide it more up it makes an enormous difference it changes one's grasping and clinging to something more moderate more balanced not so the stress and the tension and the strain of being something of having something of wanting something of becoming something is lessened it's all fluid it's all moving now I've already mentioned I'll mention it again use the contemplation topics which we did this morning in order to see that decay, disease and death in yourself in nature around you right now this day 
is dying and it's becoming night and not so long and the night will die and it will become day again constant fluidity you can see it in the leaves outside in the grass, in the bushes everywhere you look always refer back to yourself contemplation method as a meditation method recognize the breath each time it comes in it's finished each time it goes out it's finished were it not so coming in and going out we'd be dead very soon I think it takes two minutes or less if it were to stay in we'd be dead if it were to stay out we'd be dead so our whole life this whole me person this whole individual is totally dependent upon the factor of the air which is sucked in and finished and pushed out again and finished and sucked in and pushed out that the whole individual is dependent for its life on that if we actually see that in ourselves it changes our attitude towards ourselves and in the meditation it's easy to see that it's a continuity which hides impermanence just because each breath is followed by another one just because the cells come together and fall apart and come together and fall apart all the time that continuity hides our understanding of impermanence so in meditation you can use that also to get a little nearer to the inside the wisdom which is the path that the Buddha showed us a little bit of insight brings a little bit of calm a little bit of calm brings a little bit of insight it doesn't matter which way one goes first both have to be practiced sometimes when the mind is very unruly and doesn't want to stay on the breath at all it's much more helpful to attend to the inside part to watch the impermanence to watch the impermanence of the breath of the thoughts which are disturbing the meditation and to actually look around inside of oneself and see whether one can find anything that's solid and permanent look look and see what is there when the mind then becomes quietened down then one can go back to becoming attentive to the breath without any thought of impermanence just for the pathway to calm so that the mind can have the extra energy which it is created through the non-thinking both ways 
unnecessary. I have mentioned skeptical doubt as our one of our hindrances. It's the fifth one compared to being in the desert. The first time that the mind will actually be very elated and let go of skeptical doubt automatically is when we can stay on the breath for some time. I told you that the initial application to the meditation subject counteracts loss and torpor. The continued application to the meditation subject counteracts skeptical doubt. These are the first two factors of meditation which arise in any meditation, whether it is geared towards calm or insight. When we see that we can actually do it, stay on the meditation subject, we gain self-confidence and we also gain confidence in the fact that it can be done, that the Buddha's instructions are correct. Until one is able to stay on the meditation subject for some time, there's very often the thought in the mind, that's not possible. Nobody can stay on the breath. But having done it oneself, one knows. We have to do all of this ourselves. We always compare that to biting into a mango. If we've never eaten a mango and we ask somebody else, what does it taste like? The other person might say, it's very nice, it's juicy and soft and sweet. But that could be a peach. If we haven't bitten into the mango, we'll never know what it tastes like. But when we have, we know. It's the same with this. When we have practiced diligently, when we have understood the need for it, when we have given up wanting to get something and instead have given ourselves to a higher ideal, then we'll know. There's nothing to get. Everything is to be got rid of. Letting go is the keyword for all spiritual endeavor. Letting go of all one's ideas, attitudes and viewpoints and letting go of wanting to have something. If we would like to get peace and quiet in the meditation, we're never going to get it. But if we are willing to give ourselves to it, we'll get it. It's just the other way around from the marketplace. The more we give, the more we'll get. It's about 180 degrees, 80 degrees turned around.
The first two factors of meditation, of any meditation, in Pali Vitaka Vichara, counteract two hindrances, sloth and torpor, or laziness and drowsiness, and skeptical doubt. One is compared to being in prison, the other one is compared to being in the desert. These are the Buddha's words, these comparisons. Our spiritual faculties are all within us. They're just waiting to be used. And they are faculties which are necessary in everyday life also. Only we're usually making use of them just so far as we need them for survival and for looking after our own obligations. We all have mindfulness. Otherwise, we would have been run over long ago. We wouldn't be able to dial a telephone number without mindfulness. We all have faith and confidence. Nobody would ever enter into any relationship without it. Because we never know what's going to happen with it. But at the beginning one has the faith and the confidence it's going to be fine. We don't know yet what's going to happen. And we all have some wisdom, otherwise we wouldn't be here. That alone is already wisdom. Now we need to cultivate and develop these faculties. We also have concentration, otherwise we could never have read a book. We could never have gone through school or college. We all have some concentration. And we all have some mental energy. But all these, these five need cultivation. They need developing. They need to be used for the right purpose. The right purpose. The spiritual life. The right purpose. The spiritual growth the ideal that we can see, that we can reach for. Something that in our society has become rare or even lost. It's all there. All we have to do is use those abilities which we have in that direction. There's nobody without The more we practice with them, the more skilled we become. Meditation is a skill like any other. It's got to be practiced. Even faith and confidence is a skill like any other. It's got to be practiced. Mindfulness is a skill. It's got to be practiced. Concentration, of course, is a skill. All of these are skills which we carry around with us 
which are our unused potential. I've given you the ways of how to do it through the meditative and the contemplative path, both leading us to wisdom insight, leading us to concentration, making mindfulness possible, arousing energy over and over again, and then gaining energy through the concentration and recognizing the difficulty, the barriers which skeptical doubt will bring to our practice and therefore getting skilled at loving it, having confidence. All these skills are available and we can develop them. skills. Very few people are aware of the fact that we can develop heart skills just as well. It's no different. It's a matter of practice. I've given you the first two steps of insight. Don't believe them, don't disbelieve them. Investigate them, experience them. The five spiritual faculties which need to be practiced. And that's enough for this evening. If you have questions, this is the time to ask them. Well, that's certainly one way of experiencing that, which means that one at that time is experiencing a non-reaction of the mind to the discomfort of the body. That's fine. Another way of experiencing it is this. When you walk, what makes you walk? When you sit down, what makes you sit down? What made you come here? The body had to come, but who said to come? Was it the body who said so or the mind? The mind gives the orders. The body follows suit. Sometimes it can't because it's feeble, but most of the time we give the body the orders that we know it can comply with. When you're watching the breath, 
you know that the body is breathing and you also know that the mind is watching so you can see that there are different functions they are interdependent but what you said was said by the Buddha in this way he said that an enlightened disciple has one arrow that pierces him but an unenlightened has two the enlightened disciple has a body which will continue to give difficulty there is no body in the world that doesn't give difficulty but for an enlightened disciple the mind doesn't react but the unenlightened disciple has body and mind and both make difficulty and especially the body creates difficulties for the mind so we have two arrows that pierce us the enlightened one just has a body but no reaction so that's actually what you were saying in that way and that shows quite clearly that this is so it's a very important aspect of insight because if we actually take it in as an understanding we will see the necessity and the importance of caring for our mind and will stop just caring for our body nothing could be more important and if nothing else is learned here that's also sufficient caring for our mind instead of only caring for our body so that's the first step of insight the body goes to its uh, components and disappears and the mind has a totally different function it doesn't have that function of dissolving into its components it's different for an enlightened one for the unenlightened one it does not dissolve into its components but at this point in time we need to really be concerned with this life this moment and then as we develop the mind maybe we don't have to keep it going because some people think it's nice to keep it going it's a viewpoint anything else? yes Uh, the consciousness as one of the five aggregates that sense consciousness well in sleep you can be without it you don't always have them and uh, that's not necessarily a sense consciousness so the sense consciousness 
which we have in seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling and thinking is certainly laid to rest when the meditation becomes meditation and is no longer just a method because that is exactly what meditation is all about the um, first words that are usually said by the Buddha about the meditative um, absorption is secluded and it means secluded from the senses, the sense consciousness so that's when we can experience that our senses are giving us only a very minor uh, pleasure and incomparable to the realization that happens in meditation not sense consciousness one of the the, the aggregate of the um, of the khandas the pancha upadana khandas the five aggregates of clinging start with vinyana and vinyana is sense consciousness seeing, hearing, tasting touching, smelling, thinking that's all it's not awareness it's sense consciousness that's all vinyana means in that case and the meditative absorptions do not have sense consciousness that's the beauty of it that they don't have it which makes it quite clear that they do not provide what we're looking for the senses the word consciousness is often used differently as awareness that's not what it means vinyana means sense consciousness the seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling thinking is that clear? sorry? okay <laughs> alright, anything else? in order to start please put the attention on the breath Look into your heart and see whether there's any ill will, anger, upset, fear, worry, envy, dislike, resistance, rejection, anything that makes the heart heavy. If you find anything like that, let it float away like black clouds in the sky being blown away by the wind 
Now look again into your heart and see it open and brilliant, unencumbered, light, no heaviness. great spacious expanse now fill that with love and friendship and compassion and appreciation and gratitude and then let those feelings of love and appreciation and gratitude seep through you so that you are totally immersed in them Now think of anyone whom you know whom you would like to share your love and compassion and your appreciation your gratitude with and fill that person with those feelings coming from your heart Now think of a person whom you think might need love and compassion and appreciation very much, having very little of it, and share the beauty, the purity of your own heart with that person. giving him or her your love and compassion and appreciation.
now think of anyone with whom you find it difficult to share your love and compassion. And recognize that the purity and openness of your heart depends on giving it also to that person. Give him or her your love and compassion, friendship, appreciation. Think of the people that you have daily contact with. Let your heart full of love and compassion, friendship and appreciation reach out to each one of them. Take them in your arms. Let them know that they are part of your heart. Think of those people whose lives are far more difficult than ours. They may be in hospital or in prison, in refugee camps. They may be crippled, blind, without food or shelter. Let your heart flow out to them. Not judging, just loving. Loving, compassionate, full of friendship and helpfulness.
think of all the creatures other than humans that inhabit and share this earth with us. Let the love and compassion from your heart reach out to them. Seeing them as your companions. Open up your heart as wide as you can, expanding it, letting the love and compassion in it grow, become so large that it can encompass all the people on this planet, embracing them all. all one large family living together in one small home. Only our love and our compassion, our friendship can make this home, this planet, livable. Try to extend as much of your heart faculty as you can. Now put your attention back on yourself. Feel yourself bathed in love and compassion. Giving a feeling of purity. connectedness of togetherness.
May people everywhere have love and compassion in their hearts.